Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bo. And this week we're chatting about an often forgotten survival horror title, Zombie. Developed by Ubisoft Montpelier, Zombie was released in 2012 as a launch title for the Wii U, originally titled Zombie U, and later ported to PC and consoles in 2015 as Zombie, which has the player contending with a zombie outbreak in a decimated London. After being contacted by a mysterious figure known as the Prepper, the player takes refuge in their safe house and must traverse the streets of London scavenging resources, weapons, and perhaps a cure to the virus. So, Neil, I think we can both agree that uh, there's no shortage of zombie horror games out there. <laughs> just a few. Um, <laughs> just a few. You know, it seems no matter the type of media, um, and, you know, we have things like The Walking Dead to thank for that, I think, in terms of just the overabundance of zombie media we have. But at the same time, you know, I think that with such an overabundance, there's definitely more than a few titles that kind of slide under the radar, perhaps, because they don't sort of adhere to maybe the more traditional or conventional zombie experience. Mm. Um, and I think that zombie, you know, years removed from its actual release, um, has a few qualities to it that make it unique in that regard. Um, for you, you know, on this recent replay, how did you find zombie uh, holds up? Yeah, pretty well. I think the fact that we've come into this again in a post-Project Zomboid world, there's a lot of similarities in the sort of gameplay loop of that, you know, I'm right down to the finding you can find your own corpse effectively, you know, if you uh, go back to the similar areas. Um, yeah, so that worked well. And I think even though the game is very different to what it originally was, because obviously it was made for that Wii U dinner tray thing, that was a, a pad, um, you know, that was a really cool concept, everything it did with that. And, you know, you know, in much the same way Dead Rising was like the game I was almost willing to get an Xbox for all those years ago. Zombie U was like the game I was looking at the Wii U and thinking, well, I know that everyone's saying it's a dying system and it's not going to last, but I kind of want it for that. So, <laughs> like that sort of thing. Um, but luckily it came out a lot sooner than Dead Rising did on other consoles. Um, so yeah. And with that, it was nice to see a zombie game, you know, on these shores, you know, even if it is made by a Canadian studio, it, it's, it's still, you know, London and some nice dingy areas of London that made dingier and yeah, just the general sort of survival loop of it where it's like no guarantee you survive. And if you don't, it's not the end. You can kind of go back and get everything. It, it's a really cool gameplay loop, you know, and it can, I think a few games have actually sort of, taken that in the years since and made it as part of their own system not to say this is like the first game to ever do that but it's you know one of the more high profile examples of it so yeah and for ubisoft it was at that sort of peak of when they were doing everything you know before they started being just labeled oh they just do the same game every year that sort of thing which they had started doing a bit but they still had these little projects you know on the side that would be like really inventive and cool and you're like oh it's amazing, you know, to see something like this. And you know, no surprise, we've never seen anything else of this game since. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think just in terms of remembering when this game was released, um, it still is a standout in terms of this being like such a hardcore title, being a horror title and being part of um, the launch of a major console, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we have a couple of examples. The most notable for me would be uh, Condemned Criminal Origins, right? Being mm. a 360 launch title. 
when you look at something like Zombie U or Zombie, it is so much more, you know, classical, I would almost say, in those hardcore elements to yeah. something akin to survival horror, um, which I'm sure was like very jarring, perhaps, to people that kind of were just diving into this first person horror game. They perhaps had sort of expectations of what that would entail with it being zombies and whatnot, probably thinking along the lines of, oh, this will be a little more action oriented. Yeah. And yet it does have mechanics in it that feel like an ode to survival horror uh, classics and whatnot that makes for an experience that, like you said, post something like Project Zomboid, um, you kind of wish that there were more games that were doing things like that or taking those elements and yeah. putting it into, you know, specifically horror games. But I mean, for something such as this, and, you know, especially not playing this on the uh, Wii U, right? I played the port that's on uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Yeah. You don't really feel like it's a stripped-down version, right? Because, no. of course, there's none of the tablet functionality. But it feels like they at least transitioned this to other consoles in a way that retained those survival elements that, you know, I think one that stands out to me is – Whenever you go into your backpack, right, the camera perspective changes so yeah. you can see, you know, the background and you're almost a fly on the wall. So you can almost like watch your back while you're rummaging around Which is also in the backpack. Like an unintentional jump scare sometimes where you forget yeah. that it happens. You're like, oh, there's someone there. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you're looking at yourself, you're cute. <laughs> but at the same time, like the fact that that is an element of the ports, right, I think mm. that even though you are not, you know, looking down at a tablet to swap things out, there is still that intensity there. And it doesn't feel like, oh, this is like a dumbing down or a paring down of features that are no longer available because of the obvious hardware differences and whatnot. Um, but I think also just in terms of, and maybe it was me going into this, like, oh, yeah, this is a, a first person horror game. This will be a little more action oriented. But, you know, item management is a massive part of this game, right? Yeah. And we can talk about it a little bit now, like, permadeath was a big feature of this game, right? So if you die out into the world through your, you know, scavenging and whatnot, your corpse basically drops there and you drop your bug out bag, which is you know, yeah. the word for your inventory. And then you have to go out and collect that if you don't want to lose all of that, you know, vital gear and yeah. you spawn as a new character. Um, how did you feel about the permadeath feature in that? Was that, uh, you know, something that kind of heightened the survival aspect for you or does that become a hindrance at a certain point? Um I think as a concept, it's really cool because it makes death very final, you know, it, it, which is you know, ironic, I suppose, for you know, somewhere, a game where people come back to life. But it still works so well, you know, that to go and know where you've got to go to face, it's no different than what the Souls games were doing at that time, you know, with the you know, go back, claim your soul sort of thing. But having to actually get them off your now shambling self, you know, uh, <laughs> former self as a new character with a new identity. It was really intriguing, you know, considering the limitations this game was under in so many ways, it's pretty ambitious, you know, that you could have that and have these sort of this wonderful loop that I think still is the most interesting part of it. Yeah, it can be frustrating to sort of start again, but you're not technically starting again. And it's the thing you can go back and everything you've done as another character is, pretty much stays you know if you've activated cameras in certain areas you've done that if you've unlocked certain doors you've done that it's all that still sticks i like the element as well that you can just you know, you know you're constantly warned about you shouldn't stay out too late you should come back to the safe house when you're ready and you know, make sure you get some rest and stuff like that it, it just feels properly like again like we were saying project zomboid is um such a great example of, the, of really doing the zombie apocalypse genre right because it kind of bogs it down in the mundane stuff to make it feel like a more authentic experience you know it's like go out a bit get some stuff done get back before it's too much and if you push too far you're gonna get in trouble and yeah push too far can be anything from i'll turn this corner you know to you know i went a bit too deep into this swarm of zombies and um didn't really think about what I was doing. So it's great to have that sort of random nature, you know, where it's not, where the game is providing a little of it, but you also have an understanding of what has been done, what has come before, but it's also now this unpredictable experience too. And that's a really good mix. You know, it's, um, 
unironically is probably one of the better examples of that sort of from software format in terms of like going out to the world, finding your pathways, unlocking shortcuts, blah, 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 dying, reclaiming your stuff, learning from your mistakes. And yeah, that, that loop works pretty damn well. Yeah. I think it's what really elevates what is otherwise a very choppy so so game in so many ways into something more compelling because it kind of excuses some of the wonkier aspects of the game and how it plays to have this because it feels like you are just people not soldiers not experts out in the field and you are just people who thrust into this situation and that's where you go from yeah i think that that from soft element is much more apparent uh, on this replay just because it makes this very limited world seem that much more complex in a good way, right? Yeah. I think that the interconnectivity through the different zones and how, you know, it really does reward um, exploring in a way that, again, feels like an ode to more classic survival horror yeah. experiences because there is almost no handholding outside of, hey, this is the area where your main objective is. But when you get to these specific areas, you know, it benefits the player to, you know, push their luck a little bit, right? Yeah. To wander down that alley or explore that basement because you're either going to find a bed, which serves as a save point. You can find manhole covers, which then allow you to move between your safe house hub world, essentially. Yeah. Or, you know, in certain cases, you'll find guns that otherwise you wouldn't stumble upon through the normal course of, uh, you know, the main story missions and whatnot. Uh, at the same time, you know, that breeds uh, the opportunity for, little anecdotes about getting killed by, you know, one of the boomer zombies or one of the acid spitters or something. And then you have to make that trek back, which can be very painful. But, you know, you hope that the sacrifice isn't in vain, right? Because yeah. you got that manhole cover open. So now you can kind of just beam right back there and, uh, you know, pick up where you left off. But I think ultimately what also helps, you know, between swapping through characters in terms of every time you die, you reload as somebody new um, is the metagame of like stalking your safe house, right? Yeah. Because there's definitely a point in the game where I fucked up and I got too deep into the weeds and pushed my luck and died <laughs> and then came back and immediately died and lost all my gear. And so that was like a life lesson right there to yeah. be like, hey, you should probably roll with about a third of what you're actually running around with because who knows if you're going to be able to find these again and it can make later portions of the game that much more difficult. So it does have this kind of harsh learning curve to it, but at the end of the day, you know, the world itself kind of has this emphasis on, you know, this is not a cakewalk. You think you've played zombie games before, but you really have to, like, plan for every outcome. Yeah, and especially in the early going, it makes you think that it's not going to be all that, and it's going to be fairly simple, and it's very Dead Island-esque in how it plays. And, um, but, yeah, it, it really does just get the jump on you occasionally. And, yeah, what you were saying there about, like, sort of thinking ahead of what should you take, what shouldn't you take felt even more poignant at the moment because having played so much of Hitman Freelancer, you know, recently, which is all about that, you know, you have items that are not permanent. If you take them and you fail, they're gone, you know, like that. You start thinking, well, I don't know, maybe I'll take this, maybe I'll take that. Just take the bare minimum. But then you have these tools that when a run ends anyway, game over wise, they're done, they're gone anyway. So it kind of encourages you to use those. You know, um, you might as well stock up with as many of those as possible because if you fail, they're going to be gone anyway. So why not? And that's a good sort of balance it has. And so there's elements of that here where you just think about that and like you're saying, but also when you're going, you feel, you know, you're going to die, you know, the situation going and you have this sort of mini strategy going, well, right, I need to die somewhere where I'm going to make this easier for me to get this stuff in a minute. And yeah, because you don't want to be caught in the wrong place, leaving a bag in the place that is just going to be really, really hard to get back to. Um, I think where it could have been a problem, you know, in terms of frustration and repetitive sort of nature of the game is that it's kind of egging you on to rush your way back towards where you were, knowing full well that it's a really bad idea. You know, like that, and that patience is the idea. Keep going, keep going with patience. And again, it, it takes me back to Hitman Freelancer. That's the key. It's not rushing, not thinking that you've just got to do everything. It's working out what to do on the fly and just taking your time as much as you can. And it gets easier to do that in Zombie U 
uh, uh, the further you go on because you, as you said, unlock safe houses, you have shortcuts, you can start to plan and strategize more and more uh, where your escape routes are. And I think that's vital yeah, for it. Yeah. And yeah, so it is a really cool way of doing things. Yeah. And, you know, to pair with that in terms of the more hardcore elements and how, you know, you really do have to be planning out your third and fourth move before you even get there, um, is the sort of randomized nature of enemies in terms of not only their type that you'll encounter, which we can get into, but, you know, their uh, varying strengths, which almost has sort of like an RPG random dice roll element to it, I think, which, you know, sometimes you'll come up against a zombie, like a regular drone, if you will, and then you'll hit it once and it'll die. And then sometimes you'll get the same type of enemy that takes like four or five hits. So there is this kind of unpredictability in every single encounter, which I suppose you could argue like, well, that makes it difficult to prepare. But, you know, that was always a reminder to me that I need to treat every encounter, no matter the type of zombie, no matter how well equipped I am with. Well, you know, I could handle five of these guys. Hopefully three of them will be weak and two of them will be tougher, but there's a chance that they could all be tougher. Or once in a while you luck out and they're all, you know, super weak and it only takes a couple of hits to control a crowd. But there is that constant sense of danger that for me never really alleviated in the six or whatever, seven hours it took me to get through this most recent run, Mm. Um, which again, talking about, you know, how unforgiving some of the mechanics can be or how there's a lack of handholding, you know, I never really was able to get comfortable, which is not something I can say about a great deal of zombie games, you know, obviously Project Zomboid excluded, but for a majority of the time, I feel like with zombie games, you kind of, you hit this groove and then you're just kind of cruising through things because you know what to expect. And in this game, whether or not it was intentional, um, I found that to be something that never allowed combat to become overly stale, even if there are elements of combat, which I think have not aged uh, fantastic, Mm. but... I think we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree anyway. I guess we could talk about those enemy types a little bit. And this is maybe, I don't know if it would be necessarily a complaint, but it's one of the elements that I guess I would say makes zombie half praise and half generic Mm. uh, in terms of just like the approach to the zombies. It feels very much like the Left 4 Dead playbook, right? And that's not to say that this game is the only one that uh, kind of (laughs) goes down that route. But, um, you know, for this game, it's, you know, you've got the regular walkers, you've got spitters, you've got an armored guy, and then you've got like the witch alert uh, and like a ghostly type of zombie, which if you're going to have a zombie game that is in this IP that, you know, hasn't been built up upon since the 80s with the original, take some more risks, try something new, like something a little fresher. Um, especially when you're playing around with uh, the unique setting of London, right? I guess you do have the sort of Royal Guard zombie, which is kind of cool. It's uh, yeah. representative of the area, the location and whatnot. But I don't know. I just I wish that there had been a little bit more creativity or variation, perhaps, in the types of zombies you encounter. Yeah, there was a lot of stereotypical things, you know, like the, the screamy ones being punks, you know, the punks that were about decade a few decades out of date by the time they come to this yeah. game it's like, <laughs> and it's you know even the the beef eater thing is fair enough you know because you know, they had the whole buckingham palace thing which is impressive as hell to, that they got away with that in a way that to sort of say yeah here's it's the queen's house you know <laughs> zombies are fucking everywhere um but yeah it's always going to be tricky with that and you can't help but sort of roll your eyes when you get the same sort of zombie types again and again and again, game after game. It's but it's everywhere, you know. The genre is terrible for it, and I, you know, I said before this is why I find something like Project Zomboid so refreshing is because it's just those zombies, slow ones that do all the things that slow ones should do, and a game designed around how you your hubris will then be your downfall. And yeah, when it starts to become varied enemy types and stuff like that, it just starts to get into the realms of zombies are there as an excuse rather than the point, you know? And it's like that, which this game kind of avoids for the most part because it has so much the apocalyptic survival nature of it all. But, you know, whenever you see a complaint about anything in zombie media, it's usually, it stops being about the zombies. They are just there as set dressing and blah 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 it's 
and man is the real monster is usually the uh, outcome <laughs> of that. So this at least doesn't do that most of the time. Not not till towards the end of like the story in this game, if you've seen it, is where it starts getting just a bit well, very Ubisoft, I, I would say. You know, the story of this game ends up being very typical of Ubisoft at the time. It feels like you wouldn't know that for a start that it was you know, originally going to be another Rayman spinoff or a spinoff of a Rayman spinoff. <laughs> but especially because it feels more like it feels, you know, an Assassin's Creed spin-off in terms of like, oh, conspiracy, conspiracy, like age-old cults and things like that and doomsday preppers and whatever the fuck. It's like it just goes into places. Okay. As much as this is very imaginative, you, you have this thing in the back of your head going, there's two things here that really make you think, mm, maybe it isn't that far removed. It was just blind luck you know, because... The fact that it was going to be a rabid spin-off, you know, and then it's yeah. <laughs> the fact that it has so much of what Ubisoft were doing in their games at that point was like it, it, it doesn't quite have this special source in the way it used to, maybe, where you didn't quite see it the same way because we hadn't been treated to that so often. But yeah, it's a shame you had those moments and they do detract from it. But yeah, I think... It's one of those games that I like to start again for the first time a lot because that initial sort of run through is special in that regard because you don't really have a lot of the other infected around and it's just, you know, it's got all the atmosphere. It's got all the stuff you really need in it. And that's the key loop. You know, when it starts expanding and branching out, it gets a bit messy, but you know, it still at least retains some of the good stuff. Yeah, I would say that when we come back from our break, we can dive maybe a little bit more into the story yeah. and the setting. But uh, that's the one critique I think that I would give in terms of more emphasis on a story is that the more that that becomes the focal point of what you're doing, it starts to detract from how strong that survival aspect was and the you know capturing that nature of like, oh, well, I'm going to be a scavenger in this world because that's what you have to do to survive. And all of a sudden, when you have these objectives that are tied to, you know, developing a cure or finding the sort of elements that would allow you to craft a cure or whatnot and kind of unearthing certain beats of what happened leading up to, you know, the apocalypse or even this lore about, you know, what could have been the genesis of the apocalypse. It's kind of like, oh, we're getting a little in the weeds with this kind of like trying to tell a story that at the end of the day doesn't boil down to much outside of what you're used to in yeah. zombie media, uh, locale aside and whatnot. But uh, yeah, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can unpack that story and uh, the setting a little bit more because I think that setting is far more unique than what I was remembering. And just at the same time, you know, seeing what they're able to get away with yeah. uh, in this apocalyptic setting is quite cool. And I think part of uh, what makes zombie unique, but uh, more on that in a minute. All right, and we're back from our break. And so, Neil, as you are the uh, the resident Brit here, how did they do with uh, with capturing uh, London? I went once to visit London, but that was probably ten years ago, so my memory uh, might not be serving me the best. But how did they do uh, your country? I mean, there's definitely piecemeal moments of it that feel right. I think early on, when you go through those sort of back streets and you have all like the flats and stuff. Um, and the council flats that kind of feels right you know because that's the part of London that you can see in most places in the UK um, and yeah it's you know when everything else kind of feels like um, when you see movies that sort of have countries and they just go this is this country and they make sure you know it by showing the biggest landmark possible and then they only <laughs> show you the biggest the landmarks Right. And everything takes place within those landmarks, despite how geographically impossible they are. Not so bad here, but there are kind of bits of that where you sort of roll your eyes and go, mm, okay, yeah. But artistic license, I think, is the best way you could put it with this one. You know, I'm no London expert. You know, I'm from South South. So I admit I've been a fair few times, but it always has been like these sort of truncated little pieces. And it, this is. Get, definitely has elements of that, you know, definitely has that feeling and that vibe of uh, British streets. And yeah, I, I really like that. That special, like I was saying earlier, that, that atmosphere early doors just feels very uniquely like this country, you know, and 
I feel that's where it hits its strength because later stuff when you do start going to like the Tower of London and Buckingham Palace and stuff like that it does just start to feel like I said like movies do where they just start listing off the places they want to shoot and they go there you know impressive the first time but then you kind of think I wouldn't mind it a bit more of like the in London sort of thing and, and seeing how that was Sure. I think I mostly agree in terms of just like, sure, from the exterior, when you're wandering around the city streets, it's like, oh, seeing a landmark that's striking, um, it makes the environment a little bit more interesting. But then once you kind of are in the nitty gritty of most of the environments or those landmarks you just mentioned, it kind of just begins to feel like sort of generic basement sewers and, uh, you know, larger than life, uh, you know, luxurious mansions, if you will, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, I think using London as the backdrop speaks to why, you know, the FromSoft exploration elements work so well, right? The idea that you're using the the tube system and whatnot to get around and all of those things, it does provide a nice context, I suppose, for, you know, the direction that they took with the world. And as restricted as the world is, again, that interconnectivity between it and how you traverse it, mm. um, I think – it makes the world seem larger than it actually is. Cause if it was just this kind of like straight shot A to B sort of exploration or linear exploration yeah. of places, it would probably not have, uh, you know, been as much fun perhaps to scavenge. Right. I think that especially later on in the back half of the game, they throw certain obstacles at you that make you sort of revisit certain environments, but you have to traverse them slightly different because yeah. of either an obstacle or, you know, we can mention it now that you have this item called the prepper pad, mm-hmm. which is basically what you use to access your inventory, but it also works as a scanner. So you yeah. can scan the environment to find items, to detect zombies and whatnot. And that eventually will be upgraded to the point that you can unlock various, you know, gates that you find. You can also decipher like codes that are written in this um, like invisible ink, if you will, that allow you to access little secret nooks within environments that you've been exploring now for, you know, six to seven hours previously. Um, And I think just little touches like that do a lot to take what on the surface is fairly generic um, and gives it a little bit more complex uh, design to it, I think, which definitely helps again to kind of hide the constrictions that the world has. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing with the the locations, they do, sort of peak in that first half I think um, as I was saying but I think it also just correlates with where the zombie types and the story starts going where it starts to sort of branch out a bit too far into their own territory and like I don't mind doing different things and like making it this whole other story but it starts to become really detached from what and I think the sort of key point I'd like to bring up here with that is the hospital bit, you know, where you get with and um, well, maybe the nursery as well. You know, the nursery is a key, I think, um, which is a really dark, you know, story-wise element of it. Which I, you know, one of the, probably the strongest point of the story, which is largely guff, but it really does just sell you with some very disturbing things happening in it. But it's also where it starts going a bit over the top with the different zombie types. You have more ghost-like supernatural zombies and all this stuff. It's sort of the, I feel like the, it's the point where the game and its story are sort of pulling apart, you know, and starting to sort of pull away from each other in terms of where they want to go with this. And it's where your sort of interest goes as well. You're like, I, I'd like, I don't want to go with that side of it. I want to... I don't want all these weird types and this overlying massive conspiracy. Within that moment, you know, within that section, there's a very human story that is very typical of zombie games, but it's really good. You know, I think it's done really well. And not afraid to go to a very dark place. But at the same time, Ghostbusters, it becomes. You know, and <laughs> yeah. it, it just gets a bit... <laughs> mm, yeah, I think... On replay, it was a, once again the point where I was just thinking, ah, yeah, this this is why I don't hold this game in quite the high regard. I should, you know, and, and it's mainly that sort of first half where I'm really sort of digging everything about it. Yeah, I think it begins to jump the shark in terms of what 
works really well early on, right? Mm. When it does feel more, you know, as grounded as a <laughs> as a zombie game could be. But I think once you kind of like decide that you're going to go the route of supernatural, then the emphasis on trying to tell these very human side stories yeah. or things like that, it kind of just is like, it comes off as a little bit of a shrug. And, you know, I think I totally agree in terms of like the nursery section being this small example of a storytelling that is reflective of the environment itself that you're exploring, right? It's kind of akin to what we talked a little bit about with um, with Jake Decker when we were talking about The Last of Us Part One yeah. uh, a few months ago, where it was the type of thing where when you talk about The Last of Us, I think more about the performances than the core, you know, story of okay, a guy that's taking a girl across the country. Yeah. Right? It's more about the character interactions and the stories that. Uh, occur between the two of them, the little moments rather. Yeah. But overall, if I was going to say the storytelling elements of The Last of Us that stand out, it's those notebooks. It's the environmental storytelling, yeah. which, you know, we talked about in detail, right? It's little stories and little details about the world itself that have no real bearing on the final main story or plot, right? They're kind of few and fleeting, but they are very impactful because of how natural they are and how they're reflective of, again, the envi- the current environment or the current time period in which you're uh, arriving at them. And like you said, that nursery section, I think, being the strongest example of that. But then they kind of go in this route of, okay, we're going to get back to, you know, finding a cure and, you know, somebody's bitten who's pretending that they're not. And it kind of just, it's like you see a glimmer of what this game could have been filled with given the fact that you are scavenging all these little environments and, you know, there's a moment of it when you go to get um, a gas can, right? And you have to go fill up your generator mm. and you encounter another survivor who's got a family and we always know how those things end up uh, unfolding. But that moment is so f- short and it's like very brief and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's really kind of like going outside the realm of what you're used to with these types of uh, mini stories. And it's just like, oh man, I wish that each of these environments had had either some type of unique character you encounter or you're unearthing, you know, some type of story that is um, tied to a unique location. But, you know, at the end of the day for what the game is, um, you just wish that there'd been more of that. Cause like you said, that would have then made it that way. Zombie would be the type of zombie game that comes up maybe a little more regularly in the conversations yeah. around uh, zombie games and zombie media. Yeah, I think, you know, it's mentioned you know, that that Condemned was an influence on this, and you can really feel that in a lot of it. But, you know, as weird as Condemned could get, it also really felt quite grounded as an overall story with the characters and their meaning. And, you know, this is trying to bite off a bigger piece than it should. And nowhere is that more apparent than when you get to the end of this game and you have this revelation of what's going on with the prepper and what they're doing. Because that could have worked on a, on a smaller scale and it would probably have been more impactful. You, know, you didn't need this worldwide conspiracy stuff. You know, that, in my opinion, would have been better if it had all been in the prepper's head about, you know, he believed there was some sort of secret society out to get him and, and he's against it. It, it would make more sense. Uh, in terms of the story, but I get why in 2012 that was the focus. You know, they don't want attention being lost. You know, arguably, don't make the game for the Wii U would be the real <laughs> solution. But, <laughs> but you know, at the time, I, I get it. And you know, fundamentally, the Wii U version is still kind of superior because it had the multiplayer and things like that, and the tablet stuff, which didn't come across. But yeah, it, it's. It's a game that dreams a bit too big in, in when it matters. And I think that's what really lets it down and kind of starts exposing its shortcomings mechanically as well. Yeah, you know, I misremembered a lot about this game. And originally I had misremembered that this was like a budget title hmm. almost, which it is interesting that it was a launch title for, you know, obviously a major console. And yet there are glimmers of design elements that are very sort of just like indicative of that kind of $40 price point that we used to have a lot with budget titles. But then there's instances of like smart design or design elements that you wouldn't be expecting. Like whenever you try to crawl into a vent and you're being pursued by zombies, they'll grab you and pull you right out of the vent, which I completely forgot. Mm. And, you know, that's 
a little element, but at the end of the day, like that can make for a situation that perhaps you're not prepared for or something like that, or it's just this, you know, shocking confrontation. But at the same time, you know, you have elements like the ranged combat, which I think uh, now we can definitely get into Mm -hmm. um, being as lackluster as it is, as, you know, having almost no feedback when you fire a gun other than, you know, potentially popping a zombie's head, but, you know, just how wonky that feels. The fact that, again, there's like no feedback almost whatsoever in using firearms, which is why I primarily played melee when I was able to, which at the same time, you know, is a little bit more satisfying, but it's not much more, right? I think that combat is definitely the weakest element of this game while still being perfectly functionable uh, or serviceable. How did you find the combat and your revisit? Yeah, it's not great. Um, I think there's definitely a overlying sort of problem with the game as we've been sort of alluding to that you feel there was stuff from higher up sort of pushed upon what had to be in the game because they were worried it wouldn't interest people in the same way. And I think guns were one of those. You don't need them. You're in fucking London. You know, it's like there's not every, very few people have access to guns compared to America. There are AK-47s on every street in no, London. No, no, no. You literally cannot just go to a vending machine and pick up a gun. It's, it's not like that. <laughs> We're getting vending machines here next week, I think. Wouldn't surprise me the way it goes. Very fair. Oh, uh, dear. But yeah, it's, um, it just feels an unnecessary sort of thing. For a game that feels very much like it's designed for melee combat, you know, and this goes back to the zombies themselves, where having those extra types almost feels like they're there because you have guns and because you have to have extra things and they complicate matters. Whereas, yeah, if you'd had it stripped back, simple zombies, simple scenario, survive at all costs uh, with the you know, the end revelation of betrayal in its own way, it would have been perfect. Um, but again, Ubisoft at that point and the game industry in general at that point it made sense because we saw what was going on with horror games. You know, we saw how they were being treated. This is actually remarkably respectful in, in the big developer space, you know, at that point, and especially the big publisher space. And so, yeah, it, yet it's still now when you look back at it, it feels a bit you know, safe in places it shouldn't. And like, oh, well, people will get bored. So we have to do this, have to do that, which really does just sort of go against the grain of when they're, doing this more ambiguous stuff and sort of letting you get on with things in your own way and you know whilst being restrained enough that you're not going to wander off too far it's one of those games in Ubisoft's catalogue that really does just feel like a fight has gone on in much the same way so many games had at this point you know uh, very much seen in the Dead Space series as we went through these years this being out in the intermittent years between two Dead Space games so yeah, it's yeah you know, the fact that a sequel never got made because of the failure of this, you know, because of the console it was on, and then by the time it got ported, it was nothing, you know, to many people. So it, it's and you know you lost some of the elements of that game that were important to it in the tablet in the multiplayer. Um, God, this game had come out five years later, I, I with those things intact, you know would have been a marvel you know a revelation but then the ubisoft five years later probably wouldn't have made it so so you know it, it's swings around about it got made and it is special in its own little ways and it's a shame that its combat isn't entirely its own fault in some ways i think you know it's still wishy-washy but i explained that away earlier by saying you know you are just regular people in most cases so it makes sense that you're not going to be like adept with weaponry and you don't really want to go smacking people around the head that have just died it's there's a reluctance there that feels right for the situation and it's all about survival 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 you aren't just gung-ho mary it works yeah so yeah that part of it you can excuse it other parts of it that don't need to be there you can't i think yeah you know i think also if we had gotten a sequel, they could have developed the idea of starting a new character a little bit more, right? I always, every time I replay this game, it's 
a bummer that there isn't more unique elements of, you know, the randomly generated character other than their character model and, you know, the occupation, which literally does not matter. Um, (laughs) It's a shame that, you know, you don't roll like new stats with each of those characters or they have different starting equipment or something like that, or a specialty of some sort, like that would play into that metagame aspect of keeping your, you know, safe house stocked. Right. And kind of putting more emphasis on the fact that like, well, this current character I have sucks with using these weapons. So I'm going to leave it behind in case I roll a new character that has, you know, more, more uh, aptitude with, you know, shotguns or SMGs or melee combat, even Um, little elements like that, that I wish was incorporated here, but at the same time, you know, it's uh, (laughs) not going to waste my breath, I guess, wishing more for elements that we're not going to see in any type of sequel, but that's definitely the one thing that stood out on this replay where I was just like, man, there's all this emphasis on like a new character and finding your old gear and stuff. But at the end of the day, each character just plays like the last. So it's almost kind of like, well, what is this really in service of other than being able to say like, well, yeah, you got to hunt down like the your old uh, bug out bag and whatnot, yeah. um, which once you get to a certain point in the game becomes an absolute chore. And I wanted to ask you about your experience with the last hour 90 minutes give or take of the game you kind of get this message that says you're going to the point of no return basically and then certain parts of the world become difficult or downright impossible to access Mm. which if you die in that later half granted again you know you up to that point should be uh well prepared for you know what's coming ahead of you you obviously are familiar with the mechanics and the challenges that you can face and yet death is inevitable. So I got to a certain point where I died and then it became impossible for me to get back to the point at which I died to pick up my bag. So all of a sudden, all of I lost all of my, you know, pristine gear, my upgraded guns, and I had to rely on, you know, what I spawned with and a couple of old firearms that I had that had no ammo at that point. And so while I love the interconnectivity of the world and everything and all these shortcuts that I was using – to have a portion of the game that doesn't allow me to access those things. Like I couldn't access certain manhole covers that I had at one point, my scanner wouldn't unlock a certain door that I needed. So I had to like run throughout the entire subway system again to retrace my steps. Like, did you run into any elements like that in your sort of last hour with it? Yeah. You see that last hour is a a killer in some ways, if it goes wrong, because of the reasons you're saying it, they don't help the experience. And suddenly it breaks what little illusion is left at that point. You know, that you suddenly, you just feel like you're not different characters. You are just being punished with death and that is it, which is not, yeah, it is not the way the game is supposed to be designed. I think the key thing there is that that it needed to be a more, a shorter experience, that, that end game stuff, you know, make it hard, make it tough, but make it literally, the final run, you know, don't make it just be this, that, and the other, uh, where you, it drags it out. It's, for a game this size, well, there's no need for it, you know, it, it's not that big a game. You don't need that long of, of the content to be about that, you know, and, and yeah, just everything that happens in it just, just feels like a, an overwhelming amount of things. And, you know, very typical, you know, you can see where the influences are, you know, straight away, the whole, I mean, fucking Resident Evil down to a T, isn't it? At that point, it's like get the fuck out of there before they bomb the fuck out of this place. That's it, yeah. <laughs> and that's great. That, that works if you have if you kind of strip the player's agency away a bit and make it more about no, you've got to go and do this stuff now. I get why they didn't do that a bit more because they wanted to try and keep an element of what was there before. But if you're going to tell a story and you want a definitive end that isn't open-ended, then you kind of need to do it that way and sacrifice and say, look, you've had the whole game to play it how you want to play it. The end game is the end game. We're just going to go for it. We're not going to make you try and tie those two elements together because that's, again, where it suffers. Again, where you think, hmm, who made the decision there? Was it just about the development team or was it higher up saying you've got to have this, this, and this? But we we don't know, but still. Well, there's also that portion in the game when you lose all your equipment and you basically get thrown into 
the smash TV equivalent of uh, the zombie apocalypse, right? Where you have a limited amount of resources and then you have to face, you know, a certain amount of enemies through these sort of mini waves. And, you know, that was such a maddening point in the game for me that, again, it kind of goes against what you've been working up to to a certain point. Like, I understand that that type of thing could work in a game, for example, you know, I think you even mentioned... Um, in Dying Light 2, that's a DLC, right? We're in this kind of Coliseum, which yeah. is like a series of challenges and whatnot, but there's melee combat for that. And for this game, when you're only given a handgun with a certain amount of bullets and you're facing increasingly tougher enemies in these waves, it's like, well, you have to make every shot count. And if you don't, you're basically fucked. And that is kind of like the end of that that current life. That was the one section of the game where I think I died three times mm. just trying to like line up shots with, you know, either explosive barrels or hitting the the boomer enemy and whatnot and fucking up. And then it's like, well, okay. So this is kind of like the section of the game that is so at odds with the overall experience or the sort of ethos, if you will, of zombie that it was kind of just like a head scratch. But at the same time, you could see that being perhaps some of that interference with which we've talked about. Um, Cause it felt like a section just ripped out of kind of whatever generic survival game. Yeah. And like another thing to point out here is if you hadn't played the original version at this point when the game came out, this came out after Dying Light, which has you know, a section very similar to that one in terms of a, all the stuff's taken away. You've got to live on your wits and you've got to face all these monsters off, which is infinitely easier and more entertaining like that. And so to go back to go to that one would have been just like I remember then at the time because I reviewed this and that in the same year. I just thought, oh god, I, I've done this already, and I get that it came beforehand, but phew, this isn't too much. And it's weird how much they actually share DNA wise in terms of story. Probably not that weird, given how many zombie things do that. But you know, both about these overlying conspiracies and corporations, or whatever there is going on in the background, and a cure and whatever. And but yeah, the, you it didn't help it by the time it came to other consoles that that game had already come out and had the multiplayer that this was missing and was just generally a lot more fun to play and had better melee combat, mildly better gunplay in a sense where it made more sense and also a distinctive, you know, place to play in by not, again, being set in Europe rather than the US. And yeah, it's, really did some big damage to this game's chances of a second chance because it felt so limited and you couldn't help but compare this game with Dying Light in that year because you know you look at them they're doing so many of the same things and you know Dying Light was the tech land doing Dead Island right at that point and which you know Dead Island the original one came out the year before Zombie U came out so it, this is an unfortunate sort of chase that went around with this game, you know, that ended up happening. But um, yeah, it, some bad decisions made in that regard. But what can you do? And while we might not get a sequel, if anything, this conversation has reminded me that I need to go back and play more Project Zomboid because <laughs> it's so great, though, I guess, to see a game that is more commercially known at the time, you know, mm. it being a launch title for a major console and you know, really just feeling like it's serviceable for hardcore horror fans, even if, you know, most people that got it probably weren't expecting that. Um, I think just in terms of like that description of the game or that reality of Zombie U, like it still is an outlier for all of its faults, I think. Just the fact that something, again, this hardcore and this horror centric was part of a launch, a launch title for a console. You know, it's the same way I think about Condemned Criminal Origins, right? That I find that while that is obviously more action oriented yeah. and not nearly as hardcore at the same time i think you could argue you know the psychological storytelling aspect of that and just how gnarly some of the horror elements are in that game like that game has shades of hardcore elements in it too um so what i think i'm really just saying is is that we need another hardcore horror launch title for the next console generation but yeah uh, <laughs> i mean we'll see we'll see i mean the closest we'll have in any sense at the minute, I suppose, is with PSVR 2 that gets to launch with Resident Evil Village and like a bunch of other horror games, I think, are in the pipeline with that. So maybe, you know, maybe that's a worthy contender. Maybe we'll find out in the future. We'll see. So, 
Well, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, this was a, a nice trip down memory lane, uh, revisiting Zombie. Um, yeah, you know, even I think for its faults, it's still a game that uh, definitely for as short as it is, uh, even though maybe it <laughs> outstays its welcome a little too long, perhaps on this recent replay. But um, I think it really does capture elements of survival horror that you would hope to see in maybe more commercially known horror titles for the masses, um, especially, you know, something that's on console. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed checking this one out again. It uh, it been a number of years and uh, I think that I just wish we would get a sequel. But as I said, I think I'll just go back and replay yeah. uh, some Project Zomboid to get that hardcore fix. Yeah, I don't think the Ubisoft of today would really <laughs> do the sequel we'd want anyway. So yeah. it's, it's probably best that it was left as this sort yeah. of rough gem. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to put it. But uh, I look forward to chatting with you again next week. We're going to dive into uh, The Inventory, our monthly review show where we tackle both AAA horror titles and, you know, indie stuff that's uh, been released yeah. in a given month. And uh, we've definitely got some uh, some bangers that we're going to chat about. I think first and foremost, you know, we got Atomic Heart, which will be released uh, at the end of the month, which I've been highly anticipating. Um, and you even have a crop of uh, indie titles that you've uh, put on my radar. Yeah. So, you know, I've at the time of recording, I've been playing Atomic Heart. So we'll definitely have plenty to say on that myself. Um, I'll be talking about Eldorand, which came out, which is a very... Um, Metroidvania's hype sort of Dead Cells kind of game uh, Scars Above we were going to talk about that probably won't come on now because the uh, embargo moved on that but we got some other bits and bobs that we have in the post hopefully we'll get um, sorted so hopefully there's a, a big game I want it to cover that we might get to cover we'll see depends on delivery dates and things so we shall see but um, we will definitely at least have Atomic Heart and Eldron and whatever else comes beyond that yeah well i look forward to diving into that and more with you next week but uh as always it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for safe room absolutely until the next time thank you for listening to another episode of safe room if you enjoy the show please rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter at safe room pod for show updates you can also join our discord channel safe room podcast to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love you can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.